Okay, so we're going to continue right in the middle of the story of the man, the bread from heaven. Because yesterday we had a whole discussion. And we, yesterday we discussed how the man came down in a, in a wrapping, in a gift wrapping, with the dew on the bottom. The man was inside, and then there was another layer of dew on top to protect it, to keep it fresh. The people didn't know what it was. They called it man. And Moshe tells them that everyone should gather what they need for their family exactly on Omer. It's like 2.6 quarts of this man, this bread from heaven. And as we discussed yesterday, some people were greedy and they took more. And when they came home and they counted it, they still had exactly what they were supposed to have. Some people took less. When they came home, they had exactly what they were supposed to have. So no matter if they took more or they took less, they ended up with what they had. And in, there was not allowed to leave anything over. So now we come to the next story. When next time when the Jews rebel against God, is that some of the Jews still didn't trust Hashem. Even though Hashem had just provided bread from the heaven. Do you think that if you saw someone giving you bread from the heaven, you would trust that tomorrow he could also give you bread from the heaven? But there were some Jews who their trust in Hashem was very, very weak. And even though they had seen the bread come from heaven, and even though they had seen that despite the fact that they had gathered a lot, when they came home, they didn't have a lot. They had exactly what they needed. Hashem gave them exactly the Omer amount that they needed to have, not more. They did not listen to Moshe, and instead of eating all of the food that day and not leaving any over until the next day, some decided to leave over some of the food of today for tomorrow against the command of Moshe Rabbeinu. And what happened? Comes the morning, and the mun, the bread that they had left over, became full of bugs and disgusting and putrid. It became rotten. It became unedible. And Moshe became angry at them. And uh, they had gone against what God had said to them. And this is the fifth time in the desert the Jewish people would challenge God and not trust Him by not allowing themselves to not go, to go to we discussed yesterday go to sleep without any food in the pantry. It's, it's a little hard. It's a little scary. But if you trust in Hashem and God says, "Don't worry, I'm going to give you tomorrow," then you have to listen to Hashem. And they they failed by not trusting and by keeping some of the bread left over for tomorrow. That was on Sunday night for Monday. Now, what happens on Friday? On the sixth day of the week on Friday, they all go to collect the bread from heaven, the manna, mina shemayim, and they come home and they discover that they have double what they had the previous days. So instead of everyone having one omer, they have two omers, two omers per person. And they didn't know what's going on. So the leaders of the community come to Moshe and they say, what is this? So Moshe tells, says to them, I made a mistake. This, who Ashadibur Hashem, this is what God had told me before the month came down. God had told me that the month would be a double portion on Friday in order that on Shabbos you shouldn't have to go out to do work to collect the food for Shabbos. But I didn't want to tell you then because there was too many other laws. So I forgot to tell you then. But this is what God told me. That Shabbason, Shabbos Kodesh L'Hashem Tomorrow is going to be a holy day to God. And therefore, whatever you need to eat tomorrow, you should bake it today. You should cook it today. And you should cook today for today and tomorrow. Because tomorrow you will not be allowed to cook. Tomorrow you will not be allowed to bake. Set aside today. Today you should leave over for tomorrow. Meaning on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Don't leave over. Trust Hashem. On Friday, I'm telling you, leave over. Because tomorrow, this will be what you prepared today. On Friday, will be the food you have for tomorrow as well. And sure enough, they put it aside. And in the morning, it had not become rotten or putrid. And there were not any bugs in it. Exactly as God has said. What do we do till today to remember how on Friday, the Jewish people got a double portion of bread, of man? Anyone know? 
Chalos. We have our Shabbat dinner tonight, Friday night. We'll have our Shabbat dinner. We put two chalos on the table, even if you're going to only eat one challah. We put two challahs on the table, covered by, I'll get to in a second, to remember how on Friday God gave us a double portion. Not one bread, but two breads. We have two breads. In addition, we cover the challah. One of the reasons why we cover the challah, and we also put the challah on a board, on a plate. Ideally, the challah should be not on the tablecloth. The challah should be on the challah board. If you don't have a board on the plate or something. Why? To remember the man, as I mentioned before, when the man came down from heaven, how did it come? There was dew underneath, and there was dew on top, and the man was like packaged. So too, the bread on our Shabbos table, the challah, is always with something underneath, something on top, to show us like its own, its own dish, its own special, its own prominence, just like the man that we got from Hashem at, uh, at, in the desert. Okay. And then Hashem, Moshe reminds the Jewish people on Shabbos about not going out and telling them, don't go out to the field today to go look for the man. Because today, Kishabbos Hayom Hashem, today is a Shabbos, a day of rest for God. You will not find anything in the fields to eat. And the Jews begin to panic and say, oh, no more man. So he says to them, Hayom, today you won't find food in the field. But tomorrow it will be there. Six days you'll work and you'll gather. And on the seventh day, Shabbos, there won't be any food. If you go out to collect, you're not going to bring anything home. So that people think I have to work on Shabbos. If I don't work on Shabbos, how will I make money? How will I bring food home? If you go out on Shabbos, there's nothing there. Then we have a one-verse story. You have some stories in the Torah. The whole story is one verse. It's not even like a clear verse. All the Torah says is, and it was on the seventh day on Shabbos, that some of the nation went out to go gather bread. The Loma, someone they did not find. What's the story? That's the whole verse. What's the story? What's the backstory? There were some troublemakers, Dasan and Aviram, who did not trust Moshe. They were none of them they didn't trust. That's uh, understand. They had a, an agenda. How can we diminish the trust of the other Jews in Moshe? All the Jews are listening to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they didn't like Moses. So what did they do? They went out early, early in the morning. They knew there wasn't going to be bread. Moshe had said there won't be bread. They knew there wouldn't be bread. So what do they do? They took their bread that they had saved from the day before, their month, and they scattered it out in the field. And then they wanted to tell the Jewish people, come, let's go gather bread. Because see, Moshe tells you there's no bread. Why? He's lying to you. He wants to go afterwards and steal all the bread for himself. Understand? How you can say that for Moshe Rabbeinu, he wants to go steal the bread for himself when his whole life is for the people. There are people that do that to, to the community leaders. They, they, they see the leaders in the, with this agenda because that's what they are. So they said, look, Moshe is going to be telling you not to go out because he's trying to hide the fact that there's really bread. He doesn't want you to go get it. He wants it for himself. So what happened? Some of the people go out to go see the bread. And thus, Avir, we're going with a whole bunch of people from the community to the place where they had planted, not planted like you but they had, they had planted the evidence, right, where they had put the, uh, the man, and they come out, says the verse, they came out to gather, so they did not find the man. Why not? Where did they go? The birds, the birds came, <laughs> and they saw bread in the field. Hashem sent the birds to go and eat up all the man. In a short time, they went from the putting in the field to coming, getting the Jews and going back. A lot of birds came, and they ate all of the man that had been hidden by the uh, by Dasan and Aviram. And therefore, there's a custom that on this weekend, on this Shabbat, we actually actually leave food out for the birds, in appreciation of the fact that the birds 
defended or protected the honor of Moshe Rabbeinu and didn't allow Dustin and Aviram to succeed in their plot to have a man w- waiting in the field, so it's actually a custom. You're not allowed to feed birds on Shabbat. Animals that don't belong to you, you're not allowed to feed them on Shabbat. But before Shabbat, we put out food for them, put out bird feeders or whatever, as a, as a token of thanks for the, for the fact that they took the man from Dustin and Aviram. Okay. Now, Moshe, God gets upset at the Jewish people. This is the sixth time that they uh, rebel against Hashem. And here Hashem says to Moshe, How long will the Jewish people refuse to observe my commandments and my teachings and to believe in me? To my commandments and my teachings, which means to believe in me. True, only some of the Jews went out to go collect, not all the Jews. But it was a lack of faith that, look, said Hashem, I am Hashem that gave to you the Shabbos. And therefore I gave you on Friday double portion of bread. Because I want that each person should remain in his place. No man should go out of his place on Shabbos. From here we learn out the laws of what's called the Tchum Shabbos, the borders of Shabbos. Which means that a person is not allowed to travel on Shabbos outside the border, more than 2,000 feet, cubits, almost, outside the borders of the city, in order to not travel on Shabbos. So let's say a person could say, I'm not allowed to work on Shabbos, but I need to get to another town. I'll start walking. And those are people would walk. You know, you have to go somewhere, they walk. So I'll start walking now. I have a whole day to walk. I'll walk, you know, three, four miles, whatever it is. I'll get to the other city. So the Torah says you should not travel on the day of Shabbos. You shouldn't go out of the city. Now, within the city, you can walk as long as you need because not, it's not travel. So if I'm walking from here to my father, you know, it's five miles, but it's all within the inhabited city. So there's no problem. It's not outside the tomb of Shabbos. But outside of an inhabited area, you can't go more than 2,000 cubits. Anyway, now a description of the man. So what is the man? Says the Torah, the man is called man because it's like a small coriander seed. It was white. The natural taste was like pasted uh, pastry, dough, fried in honey, a very sweet taste. But the man had many miraculous characteristics to it, to it, and that it was able to taste like whatever they wanted it to taste like. Whatever the Jews wanted, that's what it tasted like. In addition, even though it was a small coriander seed, it had all the nutrients that a person needed, the only nutrients. In fact, there was no part of the man that was not nutritious. And therefore, there was no part of the man that had to be recycled through the human digestive system and come out of the other end. The reason why we go to the bathroom is because our body is filtering and separating with the good part and the nutrients taking out the, uh, the waste and the not in a good part, but in the man there was no part of the man that wasn't good, it wasn't pure and healthy, and therefore the Jewish people did not need to use the uh, to relieve themselves after eating the man because there was no part of it that had to be that was garbage, that was waste, that wasn't perfectly nutritious for the human body. By the way, although it's not in the Torah, the Jews complained about that too. They complained about this, and we missed the pleasure. There's a certain like pleasure when after you need to relieve yourself and you you let it holding, you let it go. We missed that. Can you imagine? The Jews never stopped complaining. Even about this, they complained. So it came back to them too because they complained about that. That's not one of the complaints that the Torah tells us. Anyway, in addition, the Torah tells us here that in the future, the Torah is not always in chronological order. When the Jewish people would build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, they would take, Hashem wanted them to have a permanent reminder of the bread from heaven to remind them of the fact that Hashem could take care of us and give us food from heaven if we need. And therefore, they took a urn 
and they put inside the urn a full omer of mana, and they put it in the aron as a safekeeping for all future generations. There's a debate where it went, but I'm going to leave it for another time, for another parsha. The point is that in the ark, there was a, uh, uh, a jar, an urn, full of man that stayed with the Jews throughout all of the time they were in Israel. In the, until eventually the temple was the temple. The ark was hidden in the tunnels underground, and that's where the man is till today. There is still a jar of man buried underground together with the tablets and the aron that was in the Holy of Holies in the Mishkan and the temple. Um, and they ate the man. The Torah tells us now that they would eat the man for 40 years exactly until they would cross the Jordan River on the 15th of, sorry, on the, the, on the 10th of Nisan, they crossed the Jordan River. But then they had enough till the 15th of Nisan, so it was exactly 40 years. Okay. Now, continuing the story of the Jewish people, so on the 23rd of ER, so a week later, the month started on what day? The 15th, they ran out of bread. On the 16th, the month came. On the 23rd of ER, they start traveling, and they come to Alush, and there they have no water to drink. Now, the last place they were, there was the 70 date palms in the 12 springs. But now, again, they're in the desert. <laughs> the desert of seen there's nothing to drink. And so, again, they start to scream at Moshe, and they say, give us water. Give us water to drink. So Moshe gets worried. Oh, sorry, 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 but something important. And they begin to uh, argue with Moshe. And he says, so, so Moshe says, why are you fighting with me? Why are, you, why are you challenging Hashem? Don't you already know that Hashem can provide the water for you? You see the bread came down from heaven. You saw how the water lasted. It was bitter, became sweet. Hashem will take care of you. Ask Hashem. Hashem will give you water. But the people begin to get very angry at Moshe. And since they were thirsty, so Torah kind of justifies their behavior a little bit because when you're in a state of desperation, people do things that they wouldn't normally do. Says the Torah, since the nation there was thirsting for water, and obviously without water, a person can die quickly, so you can get very nervous when you're dehydrated. And they fight with Moshe and they say, Why is it that you took us out of Egypt to make us to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst in the desert? So Moshe cries out to Hashem and he says, What should I do? A little bit longer, the people will stone me. They're so desperate for water. They're screaming, they need water, they're going to stone me. So Hashem says to Moshe, you're exaggerated, not going to stone you. Just walk before the nation, you'll see that they won't do anything to you. Then God says to Moshe, pass before the nation, take some of the elders of the, of the, of the people that should see what you're doing is not finding a pre-existing well, but that you're going to actually create a new source of water from a rock in the desert, which is obviously extremely miraculous, to be able to reveal water within the rock in the desert to bring out the water and take in your hand the stick, the staff with which you struck the Nile River and with which you split the Yams of the Sea of Reeds. So the same stick that you used to do the miracle that destroyed the Egyptians and to drown the Egyptians will now be the same staff that you will use to bring forth water for the Jewish people to drink. And you will go to a mountain, to, to the mountain of Chorev. Mountain of Chorev is Mount Sinai. Even though they were not in Mount Sinai, they're in Alush. He went with the elders there. And there in front of the elders, you will take your stick. You will hit the rock. You'll hit the rock. So hard, the rock will split open. And when you split open the rock with your stick, the uh, water will come pouring out of the rock. And the Jewish people will have what to drink. 
And sure enough, Moshe did that in front of the elders. And from then on, for the next 40 years, this rock would travel with the Jews wherever they were. The rock traveled with them. Never again until after Miriam dies do you find that the Jewish people have an issue with water, have a traveling well. Monday, it's to discuss that the well was in the merit of Miriam, even though most of them want to hit the rock. The water came in the merit of Miriam, and the Jewish people had what to drink. And at this place, which had been called Rifidim, Rifidim, which means Rifion, like they became weak in their trust in Hashem, they called it, they said they called it Masa Umriva, which means when they tested and fought against Hashem, when they asked about Hashem saying, is God present amongst us or not? There's one more story in this week's parsha, which we're going to discuss now quickly, which is the story of the war with Amalek. Now, of course, we can spend the whole class talking about Amalek and why they attacked the Jewish people and the evil of Amalek. So we're, going to, we're not going to get into why Amalek is Amalek, why Amalek is the arch and the arch enemy of the Jewish people, the greatest threat that the Jewish people have faced in exile is Amalek. And there's an Amalek in physical terms, the, the nation that attacked us, living in the south of Israel, that came all the way to attack us. when We weren't even bothering them. They came to attack us. There's all the spiritual Amalek, the forces within us of doubt in God, of, of, of etc., of, mainly of doubt and of coldness. But what's important for the story for right now is to know that there was a nation called Amalek. And at this point, all of the world was panicked of the Jewish people. The whole world had heard of all the miracles that God had done for the Jewish people. They heard about the splitting of the sea and what happened to Egypt. They knew. And we discussed in the song that we mentioned two, three days ago, when the nations were melting like a candle, they were petrified. Comes along a lake, like when you have a boiling, boiling hot bath of water. No one's ever afraid to go into it. What happens? You put in your foot. One guy goes in and burns himself. But after he burns himself, then the water gets cooled off. Everyone else can go in. Amalek went and got burnt, but they cooled off this fear of the Jewish people that the rest of the world had. Amalek destroyed it. So Amalek comes to attack the Jewish people in Rephidim. Called Rephidim again because of the place where the Jews have become spiritually weak, where Rephidim means weakness. And there specifically, they attack the Jews. Uh, Moshe says to Yeshua, it's time to fight a war against the uh, people of Amalek. So I'm already old. I'm already 81 years old at this time. The army to remember between the ages of 20 and 60. You're going to be the general of the army. Go gather for us, men. See how Moshe speaks to Joshua as a student, like a colleague. He gives him the respect, says, choose for us, men, and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill, and I'll raise my hand. The stick of Hashem will be in my hand. I'll raise my hand to the heaven to arouse Hashem's mercy. I will do the davening. You will do the fighting, and together we will destroy Amalek. And so Joshua does exactly what Moshe told him. He gathers together an army and they go to fight a war. In the meantime, as they're going to fight, Moshe goes up onto the mountaintop to raise his hands to Hashem to pray. And as he's praying together with him is Aharon and Hur. Hur is his nephew, the son of Miriam. Okay, so the nephew of Aaron and Moshe, Hur, and Aaron go up together, the three of them. When you go to pray the Konidre, right? When you go to prayer by a fast, you have uh, three people standing together. And whenever Moshe raised up his hands to the heaven, the Jews were inspired and their God was shining upon them and they were winning over the Amalekim. However, Moshe's hands began to get tired. They began to get tired. So what did they do? They brought a stone. Moshe said, I'm not going to sit on a chair. My brothers are fighting and I'm going to sit on a chair. So he sat on a hard rock and he sat down. And Aaron and Hur, 
stood on the two sides of him and he lifted his hands up and he was sitting and they were standing and they held his hands up into the sky, each on each side of him. And there was a sign of strength and emuna for the Jewish people until the sun sets. However, the commentaries also tell us that God, Moshe, actually stopped the sun from setting. It's not as famous as the story of Joshua stopping the sun, but he slowed down the sunset until the Jews would win the war. In addition, the people of Amalek used black magic. They tried to use black magic to fight against the Jewish people, and because the constellation got disjointed, because of Moshe stopping the sun, so all their spiritual powers were destroyed, and Joshua weakened the nation of Amalek by the sword. Does that destroy them? Only weakens them. Therefore, Hashem says to Moshe, write this down as a remembrance in the book uh, in the book, and place it into the ears of Joshua that there's a mitzvah upon the Jewish people to be machai emcha ezecher hamalek to absolutely obliterate and destroy the remembrance of Amalek from underneath the heavens. Here you see God's already telling Moshe, that tell Joshua, because he's not going to be the one to do it. When Joshua goes to the land of Israel, the Jews in Israel have to destroy Amalek. So Moshe, fine, so Moshe writes it down. We have a mitzvah to remember that we need to destroy the memory of Amalek. And there Moshe builds a mezbeach, an altar, to remember the miracles. He says, this calls this altar, Hashem Nisi, God is my miracle. And then he says the following line. He says, Kiyad al ka, that there's a hand of God is raised in the oath on the case, on the kisei, is the throne of God. But the word kisei is spelled missing a letter. A case ka, meaning the throne of God is not complete yet. A war of God to fight against Amalek from generation to generation until Amalek will be absolutely annihilated. And the way it's written is that God's throne is not complete and the world is not complete until Amalek will be destroyed and that will be in the completeness of Hashem's thrown into the world. Heads as case, Yudke. What's the full name of God? Yudke, Vavke. But in this verse, it's only written Yudke, because the throne is, and the word Kisei is missing a letter, because the throne of God is not complete, and the name of God is not complete, until Amalek is destroyed, and then Hashem and His throne be one, which will be in the time of Mashiach, God willing.